Next Sunday night is, in fact, uh, Sunday night of Martin Luther King weekend. And so we do, I just want to add my word to what uh, Pastor Josh just shared. Uh, we will be sharing that night with uh, several African-American congregations and just affirming our unity. And we're also, a lot of times we do a week of prayer in the beginning of January. We're in the middle of four weeks of prayer right now. We're following a prayer guide. If you listen to Central Moments every day, even if you didn't get the book, you'll see the, the emphasis for each day. And we uh, talk through what we're praying about. This past week has been focusing on who God is and our relationship with Him. This next week is going to be on focusing on families. And each Sunday, each day, not Sunday, each day, Monday through Friday at noon hour, our sanctuary is going to be open for prayer. Any of you who want to come, uh, just there'll be worship music on in here and a prayer focus on the screen. And usually towards the end, we may be pulled together, those who would like to just pray together. But we're just going to wait on God this week. We're dedicating this week uh, as our second of four weeks of prayer. And so I encourage you to be a part of all of these uh, different activities. And it is terrific to see each one of you today. Now, turnarounds, that's the one word that to me captures all of an amazing book. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It's the book of 1 Samuel. Because 1 Samuel has some amazing stories in it that are turnaround stories. In fact, it'll start without a king of Israel in a land with a king. And there's all kinds of turnarounds. And it begins in chapter 1 with um, a young lady maybe in her 20s, possibly early 30s, who, who begins to pray in a breakthrough way. And her name is Hannah. And as a result, um, years of history will change, uh, as we now know it, because of something that pivots in this young woman's life right here in the first chapter of Samuel. Uh, now, uh, before we actually get into chapter 1, um, this is the time of the judges in the Old Testament. And there was no king. There was, at this point, no clear prophetic voice. I mean, everybody was just sort of drifting spiritually. In fact, in Judges 21-25, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. And so what do you do? You drift. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes, just doing their own thing. And usually doing their own thing always led them to things that were abusive to people in terms of justice, abusive sexually. They went after idols. They, they opened up demonic spirits into their lives. This, is, this was a constant tendency in Israel without leadership. And in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, uh, it, there's another in those days. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And they were not, there were not many visions. So... It, it's possible that some of us have even begun 2024 feeling that way. I, I, I just feel like I'm doing my own thing, and I, I have no idea what God's trying to say to me right now. And, and that, that's what those days were like. When we meet a young a woman, and we encounter what is often true, the fact that often turnarounds in our lives begin at points of pain. I, I love leadership. I, I love the idea that we can have a vision for the future and let that mobilize us to turn around and to change. But functionally, uh, most turnarounds happen in our lives out of points of pain. And pain's dangerous. Uh, 
for two reasons. Uh, number one, pain hurts, <laughs> and it'll just wear us down. But secondly, pain lies. Pain lies to us. And, and it, it, they're the kind of lies that pain can feed us that will cause us to distance ourselves from God rather than running to us. Those lies that if God allowed this to happen in my life, maybe there is no God at all. Or if there is, he surely doesn't care about me. Or he answers other people's prayers, but not mine. Or, you know what, I've tried and tried. I don't think, Turner, I don't think I'll ever get over this addiction. I don't think I'll ever. And, and sometimes it, 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 it becomes like overwhelming the way that pain lies to us and keeps us trapped. But God wants to untrap us. God wants to bring turnarounds in our lives. And, and pain can be the catalyst to incredible turnarounds. I mean, it is a wonderful thing when we finally get to the place where it just hurts too much to stay where we are. And so this is what happens. It's not a young lady with a vision of the future and I'm going to change Israel. It's a young lady who's really hurting. Her name's Hannah. And she's married to a guy by the name of Elkanah. Let's start verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man, Elkanah. He's a loving, he's a caring husband. He's a bit of a blockhead, but he's, he's, he's there. And one of the reasons he was a blockhead, he had two wives instead of one. That's not smart. But 3,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, it was common. Two wives instead of one. One was called Hannah. She's our hero this morning. And the other, Penina. And Penina had children but Hannah had none. And this is where this journey begins for Hannah. If you've battled infertility, if you're married and you've struggled with infertility, it can be a horrible pain. And, um, and Hannah just could not have children, could not have children. And verse 6 goes on to say, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's the other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So there's nothing worse than bearing the pain when, when you just yearn to have a child and you can't. Uh, that's pain enough, let alone to have one of your close relatives just constantly provoking you, constantly pushing your buttons constantly reminding you. And this is more than going to the family gathering at Christmas and, you know, dad's saying, oh, hey, where are my grandkids? Come on, hurry up, you guys. It's, it's more than that. I mean, she intentionally kept provoking. It was like salt in a wound. She kept provoking her. And, and this went on, verse 7, year after year. So years of infertility for Hannah, years of having in that culture, the shame of not being able to produce children for her husband just ground into her, just wearing her spirit down year after year. And whenever, however, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, and the house of the Lord was in a place called Shiloh or Shiloh. It was a tabernacle. The temple had not yet been built in Jerusalem. There still was no king in Israel. And, and, but they would go up to worship at the tabernacle and when she went up to the house of the Lord, just to grind it in, like God really must not care for you, uh, her rival would especially provoke her. Like you're going up to worship a God who just doesn't want to give you children and could care less about you. So there's everything 
emotionally defeating about this story of Hannah at this point in her life. There's everything spiritually defeating here, especially at the worship, especially when they went to church together. She'd be reminded, Hannah, she'd be reminded by her rival, the other woman, she'd be reminded how God hasn't heard her prayers, God must not care, and all the lies that pain gives place to. And her husband, verse 8, Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? And why don't you eat? I mean, why are you downhearted? And then the blockhead comment of the century. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And I could turn this into a three-week marriage seminar right here. (laughs) Suffice it to say, don't go there, guys. Judging your wife's feelings, not validating them, redirecting them. Mm -mm. I mean, this is the last thing Hannah wanted to hear. She said, you want to know the honest answer? No, you're not worth more than me than ten sons. I want a child. But it's that pain that can lead to breakthrough praying. It's that pain that can lead to breakthrough praying. And I hope breakthrough praying isn't always because of pain, but certainly it comes out of a certain yearning in our heart for Jesus to step into situations, Jesus to step into situations in our world, Jesus to step into the lives of our children or our parents or our roommates, Jesus to step into situations that seem devoid of his influence. This is what breakthrough praying is. Lord, would you break through where your influence seems not to be there? Would you break through and bring something of life? And um, pain is one of the catalysts, and it happens to be the catalyst for Anna. In verse 10, they're at the tabernacle on one of their trips to worship God in Shiloh. And verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, and she's weeping bitterly. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. So you can imagine that he, I'm sure Hannah may have been in a seated position. She's probably bent over. The agony of years of, of childlessness and years of having it just rubbed into her like salt in a wound. She's probably bent over just like, oh. And she's being respectful to be quiet in that particular setting. But it's so profound, the yearning of her heart, that her lips are moving. And she's probably rocking back and forth a little bit. You, you know how you would be. Just rocking back and forth. Her lips, she can't at least stop from her lips. And, and she's just in this travailing, kind of deeply earnest prayer. To the degree that the high priest, his name is Eli, sees her over there praying that way. And he thinks she's drunk. I mean, this was the intensity of this yearning in this young woman's heart. She th- he thinks she's drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? I mean, get rid of the booze, lady. That's what he says to her. But, verse 20, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel. Say that name with me, Samuel. 
She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel sounds in the Hebrew like, I'm heard by God. Listen, what an incredible thought that we can be heard by the creator of the universe, heard by God. And as a result, Samuel is born. He becomes the voice of God to the nation, and he's the one who anoints the great King David who, as a king who later is promised the Messiah, a son whose rule will never end. Somehow, Hannah rocking back and forth, her mouth moving, her heart just earnestly praying, kind of gave place to the, what will someday be the triumph of Jesus in our world and certainly today can be the triumph of Jesus in our lives. And the question is, wow, could I ever pray that way? I mean, I mean could I ever pray that way? And it's really, prayer is one of those areas where it's really easy to feel insecure about it. Like, like, could I really live in that reality that I'm heard by God? I'm Samuel. I'm heard by God. Could we live in that reality? And for us as followers of Jesus, who have the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' resurrection life, here's how Paul answers that question in Romans 8, 26. Because I always think of this verse when I picture Hannah just rocking back and forth, hunched over, her mouth moving, just agonizing in prayer. I always picture this verse. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for. How many know that feeling? I mean, yeah, I know the subject, but I don't even know where to begin. Like specifically, how do I pray for this situation? We don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes. That's a prayer word. That's to stand in on behalf of somebody and call out to God. He intercedes for us through, and here's the Hannah moment, through wordless groans. It's just like the sigh of God's heart, sighing through us for the intervention of God in situations and in needs. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. So we don't always know precisely how to pray for things, uh, but the Holy Spirit does because he searches the mind and will of God. And listen, the Holy Spirit actually prays with us, prays through us. Says the Holy Spirit helps us. That word's used only one other time in the New Testament. It's when Martha comes to Jesus. She's rather ticked off that her sister Mary isn't helping her get the meal ready. And so she says, Jesus, tell Mary to come and help me. It's that same word, and it has with it this sense of helping to carry a load. It, it does not mean to do this independent of us. Martha was not saying... Uh, Tell Mary to cook the dinner instead of me, but rather ask Mary to help carry the load with me, to come alongside of me in a practical way. And Paul says, we don't know how to, uh, in the same way, the Spirit helps, that same word, to help carry the load. It's not that we don't pray, but the Holy Spirit helps carry the load with us, because sometimes we don't know how to pray. But there is something of what he calls a groaning of God. His Spirit groans through us. I mean, I mean, I don't know what your sense of self-esteem as a prayer person is or isn't, but it's irrelevant. The Holy Spirit can help you. He can pray through you with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I couldn't help but write down what I think are the five myths that many of us carry about people who can pray with power, like praying people. 
The first one is you need to be emotional. Well, in those verses in Romans I just read, I don't see anything about emotion necessarily, but, I, I, but, but it's more like this deep earnestness. And I know a lot of us guys, see, and we're kind of picked on Hera's, uh, uh, Hannah's husband this morning. I, I know some of us guys, you know, we feel like, I know my wife Sandy is just flat out, she's just a little more tuned in emotionally to life. And she's a little more intuitive. She will see things I don't see, sense things I don't sense. And she has a deep prayer life. And it's easy for me to say, I'm not quite wired emotionally like she is. And often, in many churches across America, most of the prayer life of the church, to be honest, is left to women. But I just want to say in Jesus' name, this has nothing to do with emotions. This has to do with God's Spirit praying through you. You don't need to be an emotional person necessarily for God to use you in breakthrough praying. In fact, um, when I was a college student, I remember God started using me in different ways. And I always loved when I felt spiritual. But I went through this season where those times I felt the most spiritual were the times where, where you know, just kind of I didn't see a lot happen around me. And then I remember times where I'd maybe pray for somebody or, and, and I just didn't feel spiritual at all. You know what that I means? Just emotionally, I just didn't feel tied in. And I just pure faith. I just kind of put my hand on somebody's shoulder and prayed for them. And it was those times I felt least emotional that I saw God do the most things. Because it was like the, he was trying to teach, and he wants to teach this to all of us. I mean, emotional energy is different than the power of the Holy Spirit. Emotional energy is not necessarily the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love when God's Spirit ties into my emotions but that doesn't happen every day. But I live by faith, not by feelings. And his spirit doesn't need me to be emotional necessarily. So if I'm not by nature that emotional a guy or even that emotional a woman, I mean, it has nothing to do with the capacity of the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and help carry the load for us and even pray through us with wordless groans. Or we think we need uh, a large religious vocabulary. You know, I've had people say, oh, I'm not good at praying. I, I don't know all those religious words. And, you know, and Jesus actually warned the religious leaders. They, they said, yeah, you're using too many words when you pray. You need to cut the words down and get to the groaning of your heart. And in fact, in fact, I think some of the most powerful prayers are just those groans, like, oh, God, I just need you. And the Holy Spirit, just at the point of our longing for the intervention of Jesus in some way, it's just the groan of the Holy Spirit. It's not a bunch of religious words. Or, or sometimes we think praying people are morning people. I used to think this. Because Jesus got up in the morning and prayed, right? And <clears throat> for the first half of my life, I was not a morning person. I learned some bad habits in college, roll out of bed and run to class right away. You know, I mean, I was, I was, yeah, hallelujah. I got a witness in this house. Now I'm a night person. I mean, and I was a night person. And most of the, most of the breakthrough moments that I can remember when I was in my 20s and 30s in prayer happened late at night. 
And I used to mildly feel guilty. Like, if I'm really spiritual, I'd be up at 5.30 praying. Because Jesus did. And then one day I was reading the Gospels, and I found out that Jesus sometimes stayed up at night to pray. And I'm going, why didn't anybody tell me this? Man, I've been walking guilty for years. And I was experiencing some of my most profound, I mean, I look back, and there were times God spoke to me about breakthrough things and gave me faith for those things. And it was at 11 o'clock at night, not 5.30 in the morning. Look, you don't need to be a morning person to be a prayer person. You know, and most great intercessors I know still get seven or eight hours of sleep. It's not like you don't need sleep. I mean, prayer people, I mean, there's no time stamp on, but the Spirit helps us and prays through us with groanings. It's not morning or evening. And you always need to feel like praying. Sometimes we think this about really, you know, I don't think God answered my prayer because sometimes I don't feel like praying. In fact, I've had Christians suggest to me that they feel hypocritical when they don't feel like praying, but they try to do it anyway. And just for the record, You're never a hypocrite when you do the right thing. Because we've enshrined in our culture, we've made a God out of feelings. And like, what you feel you are is what you are. That's the definitive thing. What you feel is truth, is is, is what's really truth. And, And if you don't do what you feel like doing, then you're being a hypocrite. And I've just found that the more I pray, the more I want to pray. And the less that I pray, the less I want to pray. Because feelings are followers, not leaders. They were never to, feelings are the are follow, the things you say to yourself and the things you believe. They follow, they don't lead. Don't make an idol out of your feelings. Look, I have had times where, where I, I haven't felt like praying much, but, but you start it and you do it because it's right and who knows what can happen. In fact, here's the starting. Well, where can we start with prayer then? If... If, uh, oh, I, I, I missed the last myth. And this is just really tongue-in-cheek. Um, sometimes we think praying people just flat out aren't normal. <laughs> They're spooky. But I want to tell you, um, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your personality type is. The Holy Spirit can help carry the load with you. In his groan for the life of Jesus to intervene in your life situation and in our world uh, is immaterial of your personality type. You don't need to be spooky. You don't need to be mystical. You don't need to be weird. You just need to be available for the Spirit of God. And he can pray breakthrough prayers. And it really helps when you're really hurting, like Hannah. It really helps. But even if you're not really hurting, you can have a life of prayer that moves God's hand into situations in your life. Don't give up on that. Here's where we can start. Where where can I start? Uh, First of all, you know, it's just everything we've been saying. Take your pain. Don't let your pain lie to you. Take your yearnings and translate them into hunger for God. That's what we do when we fast food in order to pray. We take physical hunger and we turn it into a hunger for God instead. And that's sometimes what we really need. Not, not what we need inside the kitchen, the refrigerator door. What we really need is that is that intervention of, of the Lord. And, and so we take, take your yearnings, take the things you have a heart for, start there. Take the thing, if you're in pain, like I said, it's a little easier because you're really desperate. But turn that 
into a yearning for God. Don't let it lie to you and take you away from God. Second, focus on the power of Christ's blood. I talked about this Friday in Central Moments because this past Friday, as we talked about our relationship with God and our prayer emphasis, we, we were talking about overcoming the spiritual battles in our minds. And, and sometimes when I'm praying, I mean, that's when I get reminded of all the things I maybe didn't do enough for, or, or things I failed at, and, and the accusations like, like, you're just not spiritual enough for God to hear you. I mean, he said, I mean, I hear those things in my mind. It's just spiritual, they're lies, it's spiritual battle. And what you have to do is you have to appeal to one thing and one thing only. Jesus shed his blood for you to open up the presence of God. So it's not that you feel worthy, it's he has made you worthy. And sometimes when I'm in prayer to defeat the battle in my mind, I just have to stand the ground of what Jesus accomplished for me when he hung on the cross, took my sin upon him, and by the shedding of his blood, he qualified me to be acceptable before my heavenly Father and to have fellowship with him. So Ephesians 3.12 was one of my favorite verses. Through Christ and faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence through him. So you stand on the provisions. You don't stand on how worthy you are. You stand on the provisions of Christ's shed blood. And then you invite the help of the Holy Spirit to help you pray. And sometimes if it's in the morning or at night, whatever, and I'm praying, I don't feel like praying, but I I just need to spend some time with the Lord. I'm not like beat myself up because, you know, if you were spiritual, you'd feel like praying. Sometimes I just, I'm a pacer. It drives my wife crazy, but I like to pace and pray. And I'll just say, Lord, I just love you. And I'm not going to try to hype something. I'm not going to try to hype an emotion or something because this doesn't have to do with my emotions. This has to do with faith and the sincerity and earnestness of my heart for Jesus. And and I I won't start by trying to dredge it up inside. A friend of mine helped me with this years ago. So I used to get down and pray and and I just look inside and try to conjure it all up. He said, instead, finally... I felt like the Lord said, why don't you just relax? Why don't you start your prayer time by not looking in, but look up and just look at me and just say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray, but will you help me to pray today? And he said, it really became a game changer in my life. Let the Spirit pray through you. And then dedicate the fruit of your prayers to the glory of God. Sometimes uh, we want the answers to our prayers to be for our glory or our benefit. Sometimes we don't, you know, we pray, we leave it in God's hands, and then we take back into our own hands God's timing and the way he's going to answer our prayers. And we end up walking away from prayer almost as anxiety-ridden as when we started. But what we do is we say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender the answer to you, and, and I'm going to dedicate the answer to your glory. That's why we pray in God's will. That's why we're told when we pray according to the will of God, he hears us because we're, we're not advancing our agenda. We're advancing the agenda of the glory of God. And sometimes that can profoundly change our prayer life. When, when it, it, and this is hard when it's pain, because we just so feel the need of God doing something for us. But when we can take the next step and say, God, this is not just for me. This is for your glory. W- would you bring my child back to Jesus for your glory? W- would you bring healing to my body? Not just so I feel better but for your glory, everything for the glory of God. And, and, and look, 
Look what Hannah says, in fact. She says in 1 Samuel 1, after Samuel's born, verse 27, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is a powerful, and she would actually leave Samuel when he got to a certain age in the tabernacle under the care of the high priest, and he would become nurtured as a great spiritual leader. Now, she said, she said, uh, I was being tormented. I had a lot of shame because I couldn't have children. Um, and, and it was a yearning in me that just wouldn't go away. But she, she said, there's something beyond that. She was saying, I dedicated, if God would answer my prayer, I dedicated the answer to his glory and not just for meeting my needs. And that bottom line changes everything. But I'd like the worship team if they'd come. And I want to close today by just pointing us ultimately to Jesus and see how this happens with Hannah. I call it Hannah's hymn, Mary's Prayer, as Mary the mother of Jesus and the triumph of Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 2, Hannah begins to rejoice in the Lord. She be, and, and she kind of like writes this hymn of praise to the Lord. Now I realize we're already two weeks from Christmas, but when the angel appeared to Mary who in her own way, in a different way, but in her own way, also was going to have a miraculous birth, the Son of God being born. Uh, Mary, Mary writes a song. We call it, because she starts, I will, I will glorify or I will magnify the Lord. We sometimes call it the Magnificat. And Mary writes a beautiful song in Luke chapter 1. And she has probably, in her upbringing, already memorized Hannah's hymn. And she builds her song and her prayer off of Hannah's prayer a thousand years earlier. And, and Hannah says in verse 1, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and in the Lord my horn, or that, that was symbolic as a metaphor for strength, my strength is lifted up. I mean, he just lifts me up in strength. So my heart's rejoicing in the Lord. Mary prayed, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, same thing, in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. We're humble, and he's the one who lifts us up in his strength. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2, verse 4, the bows of the warrior are broken, and those who stumbled are armed with strength. And Mary prayed, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Hannah prayed, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. This is the God who hears your prayers. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. Mary prayed, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. And then Hannah prays something that Mary does not pray, but Hannah prays something a thousand years earlier that fulfilled precisely what the angel had said to Mary. You're going to bear a son. Hannah prays, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. There was no king in Israel at this moment. 
but he will exalt the king. And what does anointed mean? It's, in Hebrew, it's Messiah. In the Greek language, it's Christ. She sees all this, and her soul is exalting in the Lord because the end of the story is going to be Jesus. And the end of every answer to prayer is the glory of Jesus. And so the angel says to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The Lord God will give him. And David would be anointed as the next king by Hannah's son. But David will have a throne, and Jesus will sit on that throne. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And so every prayer request, we bow, we lay it at his feet to his glory. Every moment, in fact, when we're praying, we're praying, Jesus, intervene in this situation. Every time we pray, we're anticipating that moment where his kingdom will never end and he will rule forever and forever. Hallelujah. So we magnify you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. Hallelujah.